In a far-off land, a radio show will commence. It's called Your Pet Matters, and tuning in would just make sense. Every Saturday at 10 a.m., relax and unwind. And listen to Dr. T, who has pet advice designed for you and for you alone. Free advice just for helping to keep your furry friend happy and healthy. Tune in to Your Pet Matters, a show underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care with quality you can't deny. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequiwa, and you can join me every Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. And because the weather's warming up, I thought I would take this time to talk about a few things affiliated with the warm weather. Number one is drinking. Drinking what? Not alcohol, people. Drinking water. Water is essential for life, for all of us. 70% of our dogs and cats' body is made up of water. Water helps cool us. It helps hydrate us. It helps do every chemical process in the body. The moisture in the lungs helps transport oxygen and nutrients to the bloodstream. Moisture actually helps the organs do their things. Moisture helps create the lubrications for our joints. And moisture helps eliminate waste from our systems. You will see situations where pets that are dehydrated get really firm stool. So I'm always explaining in the, in the, in the, in the exam case where a pet will, if they're dehydrated, they will always have firm stool because their, their body is, what they do is they suck any of that moisture, the intestines suck any of that moisture out of the stool trying to bring it back to the body to keep the body hydrated. And a common question I always get is, hey doc, how much should my pet be drinking? Well, there's a formulation, a rough formulation for both dogs and cats. So if you look at a dog, it's roughly one ounce of water for every pound of body weight. So a 10 pound dog should be drinking 10 fluid ounces of water a day. A 100-pound dog should be drinking 100 fluid ounces. A 50-pound dog, 50 fluid ounces. So to make things simple, I guess a 12-pound dog will drink a, a, a um, can size of soda of water a day. Now keep in mind, this is just the basic amount needed for survival. So there are variables that will change this. Is it hot out? Well, yes, then they'll drink more water. Have they been running around the dog park? Then they're going to drink more water. Are they in a different metabolic state? And what do I mean by that? Well, if they're a puppy, they're, they're growing. Their metabolism is going nuts to grow. So they tend to drink more water than an adult. If they're um, a new mother and they're lactating, they're going to drink more water. What are they eating? Are they eating dry kibble or are they eating canned food? Canned food by nature has a higher moisture content, which then decreases the amount of water your pet's going to need. So a cat is slightly different. A cat will drink maybe half of what a dog will drink. It depends. Um, cats, we joke, are kind of like the desert animals. They really concentrate their urine well, so they tend to drink much less. So a typical um, full-size adult cat may drink five fluid ounces of water, and a typical adult cat's anywhere from 10 to 12 pounds. So instead of drinking one pound per ounce, they might be drinking half of that. And again, 
the factors may change things. A lot of senior cats are on wet food, so they're going to drink less. A lot of cats that like kibble are going to drink more. What kind of state are they in? Are they indoor-outdoor cats? Are they getting out in the heat? Do they like the sun? Are they going to drink more? Um, so that's the normal amount of water intake pets should have. So what we should be talking about at this time is, are there signs that your pet has illness? And one of the signs is that they could be drinking more often, both cats and dogs. So if you notice that, if you notice your pet is drinking more often, we have to think about various disease states that could be. Um, common in both dogs and cats could be diabetes. So diabetes is when the body is not producing enough insulin and insulin helps bring glucose, the sugar, into the cells. And if your body is not producing enough insulin, there's a lot of sugar outside the cells. And the extra sugar is then eliminated from the body by the kidneys through urine. And so if you're peeing more, you're going to drink more. That makes sense? Kidney disease, both dogs and cats. So the kidneys, one of the kidneys' roles is to keep the body hydrated. So if you ever notice if you're out in the heat a lot and you're not getting enough liquid, that when you do urinate, it's a very low volume and it's very concentrated. It's very dark yellow. So that's your kidneys working normally, trying to keep that water in your system. If they aren't working normally, they're not doing their job, then they're not concentrating the urine and you will pee a higher volume, which will be more dilute. It'll always look like water. And then as a result, you're dehydrated and you need to drink more. If a pet is vomiting or having diarrhea, just by the nature, vomit tends to be liquid in it. Diarrhea, liquid diarrhea is liquid. And so you lose a lot of body water in those and they tend to be drinking more. Something unique to dogs is Cushing's disease. So it is where the adrenal glands produce steroid, overproduce it. And the steroids is called cortisol. And that a result of steroids is to increase drinking. So if your pet's ever been put on steroids by your veterinarian, one of the, one of the normal signs is that they're going to drink more. And guess what? If you drink more, you're going to urinate more. Um, other causes can be liver disease, can be an infection or a fever. can be a thyroid condition. If you have a hyperthyroid condition, your, your thyroid is in a hypermetabolic state, your body metabolism is in overdrive, you're going to drink more. Even parasites can cause increased drinking. And of course, we can never rule out cancer. Cancer is always one of those things that needs to, needs to be ruled out there, always. So what we need to do is we need to make sure our pets are drinking enough. And if they're not, or they're excessively drinking, then guess what I'm going to recommend? Guess what anyone's going to recommend? Go talk to your veterinarian. So if a pet is drinking more and it's not under normal circumstances or there's something else going on, we're going to do some tests. And the tests are going to include urine. We're going to, we're going to run a urine test. And what I'm going to look for is, A, is the urine properly concentrated? Because that'll be a reflection of how the kidneys are working. B, are there things in the urine that shouldn't be in there? Is there bacteria? Bacteria really shouldn't be in the urine. 
Is there an excessive amount of white blood cells trying to fight that bacteria? It shouldn't be in the urine. Is there signs of crystals? Crystals really shouldn't be in the urine. And um, the last would be, is there excessive amount of glucose for diabetes? The glucose shouldn't be in the urine. So that's one method of looking. It'll give us just a broad idea of what's going on, but your, your veterinarian is also going to want to do some blood work. So, for example, if there is white blood cells and bacteria in the urine, sometimes your, 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 your vet will run a CBC, a complete blood cell count, because there could be excessive white blood cells in there indicating infection. Okay? If your urine is very dilute, you're going to want run or want blood work because you're going to want to see the kidney values, the blood urea nitrogen and the creatinine, otherwise known as BUN and CRE. That'll tell me how well the kidneys are working. If the urine is, is normal, but your pet's excessively drinking, it could be liver disease. Oh, and that tells me, and with some liver disease, since the liver is involved in red blood cell metabolism, sometimes you get excessive bilirubin in the urine. Um, the urine goes brown. A lot of times that indicates there's liver disease. Cancer's a tough one. Cancer could show variable changes in blood work and urine. Um, there are some cells that can actually be found in the urine. Um, transitional cell carcinoma is a common bladder cancer in dogs, and that and there, there's a there's special tests to do that, but you can actually see unusual um, transitional cells in the urine itself with bloody urine. Bloody urine. Blood can be in there, excessive red blood cells in there. Um, with crystals can cause that. Crystals can cause bloody urine. Crystals can cause urinary tract infections. With crystals, is it affecting the kidneys? Are the kidneys values affected? So a lot of these things are all interlinked. Um, and if, for example, you're finding that the kidney values are affected, there's crystals in the urine, you're probably going to want, your vet's probably going to want to look at the kidneys themselves. Either look at x-rays, radiographs, or look at the ultrasound to see if there's stones. Um, specifically to see if there's stones within the tubing that connects the kidneys to the bladder and the tubing that connects the bladder outside, namely your ureters and your urethra. Um, because if there's stones blocking those two, it can lead to what we call hydronephritis, which is um, um, hydroureter, I should say, which is the ureter being blocked and the urine isn't able to go from the kidney down to the bladder, or the urine is unable to go out the urethra to the world. Um, and that is especially important in male cats and male dogs because the inability to urinate can be life-threatening at a time. So it's funny how drinking, excessive drinking, can lead to a lot of things. So definitely, if your pet is excessively drinking, then definitely talk to your veterinarian. They can definitely guide you through things like that. Um, but if your pet is normal and we just want to get them to drink more so a lot of people will tell me you know what um you know my pet just doesn't drink it just doesn't drink more and so i am concerned about that because i think that drinking a lot is helps flush the system so a lot of times for cats we talk about using drinking fountains um does your pet prefer cold water versus room temp water um are you cleaning the bowls off and is, does your pet prefer to drink out of a ceramic bowl rather than a stainless steel bowl or a plastic bowl? Um, that's why a lot of dogs like drinking out of the toilet bowls. It's fresh, clean, ceramic bowl, cold water. Um, some pets are very particular about where the water's located. So 
you know, you might want to put a water bowl beside the area where they sleep versus where they eat. I would keep a water bowl away from the litter box. Leave several bowls of water out. Um, some people even flavor the water a little bit with some tuna juice or chicken broth or something. Other ways you can train your pet is every time they drink, give them a treat. You have to worry about obesity with that one, but uh, <laughs> that's one thing. Um, ice cubes. Some pets love playing with ice cubes. You add ice cubes to the mix. And then a lot of times when we talk about some pets that need some extra fluid and they're drinking canned food or even dry food, we, we recommend that we water down the food. So that will help those cases drinking. Okay, I hope that's been informative. Let's take a short break and we'll come back after these messages. Hear ye, hear ye. Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend, Dr. T, only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back to Your Pet Matters. It's me, Dr. T. And we've been talking about changes during the summer because it's getting warm out. So we talked about drinking before. And now I'd actually like to change gears and talk about heat stroke. All of us are susceptible to heat stroke. And there are signs and symptoms, okay? Um, there are predisposing factors that our pets can have for heat stroke. And there are ways that you can actually help. But in many cases of heat stroke, I'm telling you, it's an emergent situation and you're going to have to get your pet to a vet. So the, pro the process of what I'm going to talk about is what you can do in order to help your pet as you get them to the vet. So um, let's talk about the predisposing factors that can make certain pets more susceptible to heat stroke. Um, one is obesity. If your pet's overweight, they're more susceptible to heat stroke. The brachiocephalic breed, so those flat-faced dogs, such as pugs, English bulldogs, um, or cats, the Persian and Himalayan cats, they are more susceptible to having heat stroke because of the way they breathe. So what, what happens is, unlike us, like when I sweat, I'm sweating everywhere I have skin. I'm sweating like crazy, right? And hopefully there's a cool breeze blowing and it's going to cool me off. But pets lose their heat. They can sweat. They can lose some heat from their nose. They can cool themselves from their nose. They can sweat on their, pat, their feet. And they pant. And they pant the hot air out. And that's about it. They don't have that cooling system that we have. So if you're a brachiocephalic breed, you have less capability to breathe well, less capability to actually release the heat. Um, along those lines, if your pet suffers from any sort of breathing difficulty, respiratory disease, in older dogs, big dogs, we call it LARPAR. There's a laryngeal paralysis. They have that <sighs> breathing that makes them more susceptible to heat stroke. Um, those little dogs with collapsing trachea, they have the goose honking <laughs> type sound. They, they are more prone to get heat stroke. If your pet has any heart issues, they are more prone to get heat stroke because they don't have the blood flow going to cool off the body. You know, your, your, blood will pump, um, your heart will pump blood out to periphery to cool itself off. If there's any neurologic disease where they can't move as well or move or breathe as well, um, really young dogs, really old dogs can get um, more susceptible. Um, and dogs that are just pushed, pushed beyond limits, or cats, if they're exercising too much. And if they're dehydrated, then they, they can't really, they don't have a lot of that ability to, to cool themselves off. Um, if, there, if it's really hot out and there's no shade, 
it's really bad if they're on cement or tar anything that's that's heat they have um if there's no breeze out there those are all um primers to actually create the risk of heat stroke so what do we see when we see uh, heat stroke in our pets well you'll see excessive panting as increases as the heat stroke progresses they may be drooling or salivating they may be restless agitating um they may appear to be in respiratory distress they may vomit in later stages their gums can go from pale pink or red to pale real pale white um, their tongue may be really red their heart rate will go up because they're trying to cool themselves off they may um, show confusion dizziness lethargy weakness and later stages like seizures and so forth so we want to avoid that we want to avoid those later stages of signs and symptoms because i do not want your pets to go through that um so how can we what can you do so what can you do so initially if your pet is showing signs of heat stroke cool them off but don't use real cold water like don't dump them in a tank of ice water just take a little bit of cool water let them drink the cool water um if you're able to take a rectal temp. So normal temp for a dog is anywhere from about 99.9 to about 102. If they're well, well above the 102, like typically heat stroke dogs appear to us in 104, 105, those are very high temperatures. Um, you know, you wanna make sure that your pet's in the, the normal range because if you cool them off too much, you actually run the risk of shock and everything like that. Um, so you can definitely just wet them down with, with cool water not super cold water you can have soaked towels and water and put it over them um, a lot of people think it should be cold towels you can just use lukewarm water you can spray their pads with rubbing alcohol because that'll help cool things you want to gradually cool your pet down um, because if you dunk them into cold water you can also affect their blood pressure big time um, so this is what you should do en route to your veterinarian or just before as you're calling your veterinarian do things like that um what we will do is we'll assess your pet depending on the severity we're definitely going to put an iv catheter in to give them iv fluids we're going to be doing cooling treatments um sometimes there, there's ways of actually sterilely putting cool fluid um in them um whether it's sub-q fluids under the skin we might have to supplement oxygen we might have to give them meds depending on what th thing is happening um, and a lot of heat stroke can lead to organ failure, so they'll be doing blood tests. And a lot of times your pet will have to be kept in hospital to prevent um, really bad things from happening. Um, I had the unhappy privilege in my first year of working where I don't know why, but a young five-year-old girl took her dog on an excessive walk and by the time they brought that dog to me, the dog was near death and we could not bring that dog back. And um, the lesson learned for me was, I think parental supervision is important. You just can't push your dog. Um, I also had a situation where I was um, the vet on at one of these dog race events. It's a 5K or 10K dog race event. And someone brought their um, bulldog. And they had run with their bulldog before, but this bulldog was definitely showing signs of heat stroke. So we managed to cool him down with what... So, so this is in a race, okay? So I'm driven over in a four-by-four-wheeler by the event organizer to someone's house 
a stranger's house. This is happening in front of a stranger's house. So we managed to, I had a bag of fluids with me. I gave sub-Q fluids. The stranger so graciously gave us towels. We cooled the dog down, got the rectal temp down to a reasonable level. Um, and the dog was okay. But it's, it, these are just dangerous, dangerous moments. Um, you know, that can happen. Um, and, and along the lines of temperature, once your pet is your pet's higher than normal temperature and you're en route and you get that temperature down to about 102.5 or 102.2, that's fine. You can, you can just get your pet to the vet, um, but do not overcool them. So, so how, do we, how do we stop all this? How do we prevent this from happening? I think the prevention with everything we talk about is key. So always have a cool, well-ventilated place for your pet. Um, ventilation is huge because when they pant, that's the majority of the way they get the, that heat out. They want that cool air so they can breathe the cool air in and pump out the heat. Their panting is basically your heat pump. Um, if your pet is outdoor light, you have to have shade. If you walk in the shade, you know it's several degrees cooler than the, than the sun. Um, you should always have access to lots of drinking water. Never. Never leave your pet in a hot car or in a car period. It could be weather where it's like 70 degrees out or even 50 degrees out. And if the sun's shining, that car can get brutally hot. Um, in my final year of vet school, it was really weird. I went to vet school in East Coast Canada. Um, and summer, hot summer days were 85 degrees. But it, there was a habit of the vet students. And I, I don't know why. It must have been just an East Coast thing. Um, they would leave their dogs in their cars. And the dogs did fine, whether it's the winter or summer. Their dogs did fine a lot. And they pulled the windows down. And I always thought it was strange. Um, but I'm not sure why. I don't know if they still do it. Um, but there was a fourth-year vet student there. And her dog had cancer. And her dog overheated and died. And so, to me, it was never leave a dog in a hot car. Um, and if you're going to leave a dog in a car, that engine better be running with the air con blasting. Um, that's the only way you leave a dog in a car. Um, like I said before, I would avoid um, areas like hot sand, concrete, asphalt, anywhere where that, that, that heat can just retain, like the city just retains heat. Um, you need some form of shade and cooling area. And then know the signs, right? Know the signs. If you see those signs of excessive drooling, agitation, panting more than normal, or heart rates through the roof, those are signs that they're overheated. Um, so, so don't push them. Always leave them. Um, let them, you know, kind of gauge how everything is. And I, every time I see an event and I see the sun and I see these dogs out there and they're panting, I, I always say, that dog's going to get heat stroke. That dog's going to get a heat stroke. I think a lot of us just take for granted that our dog can compensate. And as long as they have a bowl of water, they're fine. I mean, I, I, I think it's really, really, you have to be really, really careful taking your dog to events or, or parks or anything like that. You have to have shade. Um, and it's important to keep them cool. Always have a water bottle with you. Excessive water bottles so you can actually have some water you can pour over them to cool them off. Um, the funniest thing I saw was the lady was walking her Afghan. Um, oh, and speaking of walking, walk them early in the morning when it's less cool. If you're going to do your exercises with your pet or at night when it's less cool. But I saw a lady walking with her Afghan and every two walks she had the spray ball. She missed her dog. Walk, 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 walk. It was really cool. I hope it worked. Um, but it was really cool to see. Okay, let's take a short break and we'll be right back after these messages right here on Your Pet Matters. 1077, 1077, thebronc.com. 
every weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes, it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producer's Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best friend happy and healthy. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Hello everyone, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and today I want to talk about how cats are related to tires, uh, tigers and lions. Uh, as we all know, the cuddly feline friends that we have today domesticated in our house are in fact descendants of these lions and tigers. Very bigger cats, not as easily domesticated. But what, how much relation is actually between the two? And that's a question that I thought of today. So, I went on the website, www.labmates-online.com, and the news article is titled, Do Cats Come From Tigers and Lions? Whether you're watching a cuddly kitten play with a ball of string or a full-grown moggy stalker bird in the back garden, there's no denying that the resemblance between felines and their big cat counterparts is uncanny. So do our furry four-legged friends actually come from tigers and lions? Uh, the wildcats get tamed. According to historians, the first wildcats were domesticated around 4,000 years ago by the ancient Egyptians. They used the felines to control pests and protect their food, much as they do today. The cuddly domesticated house cats we love so much today are in fact descendants of lions and tigers, who are successors of early carnivorous carnivores known as myocids. From here, modern wildcats evolved into three key species, the European wildcat, the African wildcat, and the Asiatic desert cat. Animal scientists believe that common tabby markings of the domestic cat indicate lineage of the African wildcat. There is new research that reveals domestic cats share the same personalities as African lions. Are you still not convinced that your domestic house cat shares similar sim, uh, similar features to the fierce lions and tigers that prowl the African and Asian plains? The latest research from the Bronx Zoo and researchers at the University of Edinburgh make a number of fascinating comparisons between the domestic cat and several of its wilder relatives. These include the Scottish wildcat, clouded leopard, snow leopard, and of course the almighty African lion. In a nutshell, the study came to the not so surprising conclusion that when it comes to overarching personalities, domestic cats are essentially miniature lions. The researchers published their extraordinary findings in the Journal of Comparative Psychology and have already made global headlines. As part of the study, each of the species was assigned a personality type from the widely used five-factor model. While the psychometric classification system is usually used by mental health professionals uh, to categorize human personalities, the researchers adapted it for feline traits. Interestingly, the domestic cat demonstrated the same dominance, impulsiveness, and, neuro and neuroticism seen in African lions. This means that roars and meows may not be so different after all. Environmental testing plays a crucial role in helping zoologists determine the origins of animals. To find out more about its application in the modern science sphere, 
Um, enhancing environmental testing is a fascinating read, also on their website. But <clears throat> that is all the time that I have for this episode of Your Pet Matters. But you can tune in next week where I give you more tips, tricks, and overall just fun facts to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Until then, it's back to Dr. T and Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and I will see you in the next episode. Stay safe, everybody. That was today's segment of Producers Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producers Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 107.7 The Bronx. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, it's me, Dr. T, right here on Your Pet Matters. And we've been talking about things that are occurring as the weather warms up in your pets, issues that can happen. Um, why don't we talk about the sun? So we are all concerned about our exposure to sun, preventing sunburn and skin cancer. So we're slabbering on some sunscreen, grabbing a hat, wearing those clothing that's designed for UV protection, protecting our eyes. Um, and many of us know people with some form of skin cancer but dogs and cats are also at risk of sunburn and skin cancer well so i guess it 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 depends on exposure right it depends on the skin type and exposure so um there are sun sensitive areas of pets the areas that don't have much hair on them and dogs and cats that are exposed to the sun between you know 10 a.m. and let's say 4 p.m. where the sun is the hottest will be the highest risk. Um, do they spend a lot of time in the sun? My dog loves lying in the sun. So you have to be very, very, very careful. But did you know that you can actually use sunscreen on pets um, to the sun-sensitive area? So um, the nose tip, the ears, the lips, the belly, the groin area, um, Pets that have very light skin, literal no fur, um, are clearly the most risk of sunburn. Um, so you can actually buy pet-friendly sunscreen. Um, and sometimes, if that's not available, you, you have to be careful about a couple things, but you can use some sunscreen for babies, can be used on some dogs. Make sure it does not have PABA, para-aminobenzoic acid, or zinc oxide, because those are potentially toxic if licked. Um, and I wouldn't have one with a fragrance because it'd probably irritate the skin. Um, there were cats, there are few friendly, cat-friendly sunscreens on the market. Um, for cats, if you can't get the, the cat-friendly one and you're looking at the human one, avoid the one that has octyl salicylate and similar products, which are also toxic to cats. So the best for both these is to buy products that were designed for your pet. Um, and like anything you put on your pet, you definitely want to make sure they're not licking it off. Um, there are also hats and outfits and everything, and there are even doggles, goggles that you can use for, um, for your pets to prevent exposure. Um, so our most biggest concern is, you know, I've, I've, I've personally never seen sunburn. I, let me, I've seen post-sunburn in a dog that um, had a client that takes her dog um, out to the tropics every year and they let the dog sit and she was uh molly was a black lab and she got sunburned apparently and bitten by a scorpion apparently um so i saw the skin afterwards so i wasn't part of the process of treating um but our biggest concern for 
skin issues is actually cancers of the skin. So there's several types of cancers that can develop. Sun exposure is a risk factor, but doesn't necessarily cause the skin cancer. So, but the skin, the, the ones that are, are potential um, are things like uh, melanoma. Um, there are two types of melanomas. They're either benign or cancerous. Um, they're often seen on the lips, the nail better than mouth. Um, appears as ulcerated mass. Um, I've seen this in dogs that not necessarily had sun exposure as mast cell cancers. Um, they can be actually anywhere in the body and they can cause irritation. So they actually release histamine, which is the, the, the things that allergies bother us and it causes allergic actions. Fibrosarcomas are common. Um, more common in cats that were given non-adjuvant vaccines. So if this is a plug for a Sorry, for adjuvanted vaccines. This is a plug for the PureVax line of vaccines for cats. I can't express this more importantly. Because of the non-adjuvant production of vaccines in cats, they've reduced the amount of fibrosarcoma big time. It's huge. Um, squamous cell carcinoma. It's the most common type of carcinoma in dogs. Um, usually appears on the lower legs, abdomen, head, and rear end. Um, and histiocytic cell tumors can happen in some pets. So. You know, these are, these are the common things that we do worry about, um, and sun, sun exposure can increase the risks of that. Um, other things that can cause the risk for skin cancer. Age. I think cancer is a risk at any age over the age of five, so typically over the age of seven. Any hormonal issues going on. Um, those dogs that have light skin or fur are higher risk for um, issues. Um, some breeds are more exposed, um, basset hounds, beagles, miniature poodles, Cairn Terriers, spaniels, dachshounds, samoyeds, shih tzus, huskies, westies, um, all at higher risk. The hairless breeds can be at risk of skin cancer are if they are sunbathers. Um, high altitude, pets that live at high altitude are also at risk. Um, so what do we do if we suspect as skin tumors? Well, typically what we want to do is we want to actually get a part of that tumor, if not all of it out. So um, your vet will typically do what's called a fine needle aspirate, which is sticking a needle in and sucking some cells of interest up and putting it on a slide and sending it out to a pathologist to get confirmation of what it is. If it turns out to be something that needs to be surgically removed, your vet is going to surgically remove it and take what we call margins. So extend the surgical edges out a certain distance um, to prevent the risk of any microscopic spread there. And then that whole tissue is going to be submitted. It, you submit the tissue. So a lot of people wonder why we do a fine needle aspirate and then why we also do surgery to submit. Well, you could probably jump to surgery, but if the tumor is benign and didn't need to be removed, then it's, it's definitely an option there. But fine needle aspirate identifies the cells, right? Identifies what type of cell is this and should I remove it? When you remove it surgically, you want to go beyond the identification. You're going to get an identification, but you're also going to get a grading. Um, a grading, how bad is this tumor? Is it a grade one, which is less bad? Is it grade four, which is really bad? And they do what's called a mitotic index, which, which what's, the, what's the possibility or looking at the cell um, type? It's spread. Spread throughout the body or metastasizing, which means once it hits the bloodstream, it can spread throughout the body and go elsewhere. So those are, those are the reasons why you do fine needle aspirates and then removal and submission of the mass itself.
So getting back to skin cancer and sun. So how can we prevent some of these cancers? Well, just examining your pet, having your vet examine your pet. And as they get older, I want to see them more often. Um, and always keep this in mind. They age at a different rate than us. And I always get pushback. Well, I only want to be seen once a year when I've seen a pet. Well, that's great. 365 days to us is probably four times that to a pet. So when I want to see your pet in six months human time, that's roughly two years pet time. So it's really not as often as you think. Um, by, and you can do a great exam on your pet. Always massage them, touch them, brush them, and you can feel lumps and bumps. And I can't tell how many times a client has actually told me there's a lump. And you know these are small lumps that on a typical physical exam, you could you can miss them. So it's really great that you pet parents out there can find that. Um, specific to sun, limit the sun exposure. Apply sunscreen. Um, and use things like hats, you know, shirts, whatever, if they like wearing them. Um, and then the best is to get in some sort of routine that for, for either your sunscreen application or just monitoring your pet. Um, but always, always check for things like that. But don't overexpose your, your pet to the sun. I know they like to sunbathe. A lot of us do. But there's an increased risk of cancers with that. Okay? So that was our show all about changes with the weather, ranging from drinking to heat stroke to sun exposure and the, and the risk of potential tumors on your pet. So I hope it was informative. I hope you're enjoying the sun in limited amounts with your pets. Enjoy the summer. Lots of fresh water. Don't want them to get heat stroke. And observe how they drink. If they're drinking more, urinating more, call your veterinarian. Okay, everyone. Enjoy the summertime. Love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. Your Pet Matters with Dr. T comes to a close. Yet fret not if you missed the 10 a.m. Saturday show. Tune in Monday morning at 9 if you please and hear free advice for all your dog and cat needs you can find past episodes on the your pet matters podcast or go to 1077thebronc.com slash your pet matters made for you and your pets 1077 the bronc is beyond compare your pet matters is underwritten by progressive veterinary care